Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Opening Life Podcast. And today we are really excited to be joined by our dear friend, um, Laurel Justice. Laurel is a psychotherapist, an artist, a free spirit, a creative soul, overall beautiful human that we are so grateful to be journeying through life with. And today we're talking about A Hidden Wholeness by Parker Palmer, such a really good book about what it looks like to integrate your life, to challenge the dividedness of life and live in wholeness. And I know we all have a lot to say about that subject as intentional journeyers trying to live a whole integrated life. So we're all Southerners, but we're all in like three different states right now. So this is pretty cool. How you doing, Laurel? Good. It's so good to see you. It's great to start my week with you guys. Yeah, so I'm in Denver, Colorado, where I recently relocated and just enjoying the arts and culture here, the fantastic restaurants. It's really nice to be in some edgy, creative environments. Mm-hmm. How about you, Kyle? How's it going? I'm in my now quiet south of Nashville house for most of the past three weeks, we've had family here. And just a couple of days ago, finally, my last adult child who was visiting flew back to Italy. But we had a house full of people. It was wonderful. But now we get to taste another side of reality here. And I'm excited to find my way around the city. Kim and I yesterday did a little exploring of a side of town that we haven't been to yet so it's an interesting chapter cool beans and i'm here in atlanta i just got back from savannah um living a bit of my dream life hanging out with artists for the weekend and sitting on the beach so i am i'll say a little bit reluctant to be back in atlanta but also glad to not be melting you're just sitting outside doing nothing in the shade in Savannah and you're sweating buckets. So I was, I'm really grateful <laughs> to not be experiencing that right now. Um, but definitely missing the beautiful vibes and energy that was created over the weekend. But here we are. Did you, did you do any performing? I didn't do any official performing. I did do some poetry readings for some of the smaller groups of people we gathered with. I was able to set up some connections, some things more official to come. So that's part of the gig. Mm-hmm. Shaking hands, kissing babies. <laughs> so guys, this book I've read multiple times. I just completed my last rereading a couple days ago. Ten chapters of wonderful insight into the inner life. Questions about how to be in this world. The first three chapters, Parker Palmer lays out some basic ideas that are centered often around soul. And another key word is dividedness. What struck you from those early chapters? So I come from a psychology background. And what I love about Parker Palmer, and I've enjoyed him for many, many years, is he's taken his cues from that, but he's more shaped by his Quaker experiences and his lived experience. And so when he talks about soul and dividedness, while it is congruent with 
things I've studied in psychology and my experience with my clients as a therapist, there's something just really human and relatable about how he talks about the soul and dividedness. I'm grateful for his voice. His very relatable language of we are constantly in evasion of our wholeness. The culture is set up outside of us to facilitate that evasion. There are all these things that are set up within us too that facilitate the evasion. So, but I just really like that word, evasion of our wholeness. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say, I think the thing that strikes me about this book um, in the first three chapters is how frustrated it makes me at how everything around us is actually set up to make wholeness and living an integrated life the challenge. Compartmentalizing being a standard that is praised in the world and in life and in professional spaces, you know, just celebrated to be manipulative or put on these fronts in order to survive this world. And yet, because we put on those things, we lose the connection to our real selves. Just preparing to have this conversation with y'all today, I found myself sitting on my little balcony, just wanting to be an artist today. I don't want to be a professional I don't want to get on my work Zoom calls after this and present some professional presentation about something. I want to create. I just felt the deep yearning of my soul to be its full free self. And not saying that the work that I do isn't good work. It is good work and I am good at it, but it is not the thing that I came into the world to do necessarily or the thing that I feel the most alive doing. And I find myself very aware of the disconnectedness between who I really am and who I really want to be and the person that I kind of have to be on a more regular basis for the sake of survival and existing. You know, you take the red pill and you're awake now to this reality that you're kind of living in this divided space. And it makes me really frustrated. said really resonates with me. I'm all the time in my head (laughs) trying to get down into my heart, but one of the ways I process a book like this is I make some notes to try to condense the conceptual content. I'm always working on my map of reality. So I'm just going to read this from my notes. It's short. Afraid that our inner light will be extinguished or our inner darkness exposed, we hide our true identities from each other. In the process, we become separated from our own souls. We end up living divided lives, separated from the truth of each of us being what we are. I yearn to be whole, but dividedness often seems the easier choice. 
a still small voice speaks the truth about me, my work, and the world. I hear it, and yet I act as if I did not. Um, mic drop. Boom. <laughs> We've all been wrestling with those issues for a while, I guess, right? Yes. Yeah. How were some of these thoughts meeting you and your life in this chapter of your life? I think for me, one that keeps happening, I'll wake up in the morning and get the day started. It takes me longer to get myself going in the mornings now than it used to. And I'm wondering if that's just from feeling that dividedness of, I don't want to get up and go do this thing today. I want to go do this other thing. But something that's been happening more consistently is I'll wake up, get the day started, and I'll get an idea like, ooh, I want to write about that. Or I want to explore that fear, this feeling a little more through some creative outlet. Um, and then the demands of time and necessity cause me to have to put that thing on a sticky note and sit it to the side. Mm -hmm. And then by the time, if I get back to it, <laughs> the original juice and inspiration to pursue that, that, that fleeting piece of joy is either extremely diluted or gone. Um, I think that's where I'm feeling that sense more right now in this chapter of my life. Like you said, Laurel, his language, the clarity of it, the inclusiveness of it, the warmth of it, the dividedness between soul and role, R-O-L-E. That's a dilemma I imagine has existed as long as human beings have been conscious <laughs> of themselves. We have some deceptive modern variations on that basic problem. Hanging out with my kids recently, this is, I would say, maybe kind of the issue at the forefront of this chapter of their lives is they're now out in the world trying to find a job <laughs> where their soul is not starved. Mm -hmm. Trying to find a job that's sustainable, not only economically, and that's a piece of it being sustainable for your soul, this economic thing really impinges on how your soul's doing, mm -hmm. but trying to find a place in the work world where there's some integration between their soul and their role. During the industrial age, I'm sure that was a crisis when that happened, but then you think millennia past, how did that work for human beings? I wonder if people have been feeling this dissonance since the beginning of time. The entire human race feels it at some level. And then depending on what you were born into, you created the survival mechanisms. Survival is what we're first wired for as creatures. But as we become more conscious, then we have the capacity to recognize a soul and live from a soul. But depending on culture and gender and a myriad of other things, then we're left to try and organize our life. If we even have the freedom to do that, it might actually just be organized by other authority figures, you know, again, depending on when you're born and what your circumstances are. But now if I bring it down to my own experience... The circumstance that I was born into was super privileged. So you would think I would get to think about soul all day long, but 
my culture, which happened to be a Southern aristocratic culture, had assignments from the get-go that had been there for generations. And so I'm born into these assignments that I don't even know exist until I make a quote-unquote wrong move and get correction because I'm doing something that is out of line of those assignments. And then I go and do the most heinous thing, which is be born a creative, <laughs> which of course I'm out of line, like all the time asking important questions. So even though I was born in the modern world, in privilege, all the opportunities in the world in front of me, my culture said, no, let's don't do that. <laughs> There's a whole list of, of labels for what that behavior is. A, it's out of line. B, it's impertinent. C, it's unladylike. D, it's risky. You might fail. It doesn't represent the family well. There's nothing to be gained in being counterculture, et cetera, et cetera. So I might be rambling. A lot of rambling around here. That's the way we roll. <laughs> but it's basically just been a lifetime of unlearning those assignments and still finding myself divided. I still pick up all these other assignments. It's interesting that you say that, Laurel, about the roles and assignments and what I like to call the boxes. I was telling someone yesterday, one of the reasons I could not wait to get out of the South after growing up here is to try to escape the boxes that I felt like I was being put in. And what I'm doing right now is I'm on this journey to find all of the places where I either boxed my true self in, allowed someone else to box my true self in and find the genuine, like, this is how I felt, but someone or something told me that was not okay. Apologize to myself at that time and try to recover what that genuine feeling of joy of being my whole self was. Like, was it a silly moment? Was it a really creative moment? Was it a very, I am in my body and happy to be in my body moment that someone put shame or something on that I need to recover. And it's been a very interesting journey of identifying some of the most well-meaning things that were destructive to my ability to live in wholeness. China, 
I was mostly connecting with young Chinese students in their 20s and making that passage. I think it's amazing that anyone survives it. Mm -hmm. So many things stacked against people, relationally, circumstantially. When I hear about a young person's kind of found their way and they're, they're doing well, I'm kind of, wow, I'm amazed that it <laughs> happened. <laughs> like the little sea turtles that made it to the water. Yeah. From the... <laughs> it's like, yeah. of all those things you had to go through to get back to the ocean, congratulations, you did it. <laughs> yeah. It's part of the truth. Let's not say that it's not as hard as it is. Mm -hmm. But we're told that the way to survive is to mask yourself and arm yourself. Yeah. I think about my 32-year-old. So I have four kids. He's my oldest. And to your point, Kyle, about how hard it is to make one's way back to the ocean. When he was three, he was watching a violinist on TV and said to me, I want that. So I enrolled him in Suzuki violin at three. And then he went on to pick up many more instruments and be a part of many ensembles. Got to college, was going to major in music. Fear of economic insecurity got a hold of him. And he switched majors to something computer related. And my mama heart died when I saw that. And yet he's a man and he can make his own decisions. And he was making a decision based on practical concerns. So then he spent the next 10 years working in tech, trying to squeeze music in here and there, did a dance with depression, as we all do, when we're living divided and when we're evading our wholeness, particularly around creativity. Long story short, he was able to create some economic cushioning for himself to where he was able to quit his day job six months ago and enroll in an intensive music program. Some people would say, oh, he retired at 32. But what he actually did was build a setting for himself and made a commitment to live a certain lifestyle. He's moving to Europe so he can have this lifestyle where he can focus on his music. Mm -hmm. And so now my mama heart is soaring. But what it took to do that was a death, really, for him. And I think that may be what it takes for all of us, if we're lucky, is that we have a death or two or three. I know for me, I've had a few that have reset me on a path towards wholeness. But I'm great at convincing myself that wholeness isn't a thing. Mm -hmm. Going back to that phrase of Parker Palmer's being masked and armored, what do people need to take off the mask? and? Take off the armor. A piece of that is an inner journey that you have to make with yourself that no one can make for you. I think an equally important piece of it, and this is my personal experience also, is you need others. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, need, yeah. you need to build a relational infrastructure where you have help and support mm -hmm. because you cannot pull it off on your own. I'm still struggling sometimes. I don't mean to deny that. But I think the progress I have made in my journey has largely happened because of a shift in that relational world. And that I was also perhaps really fortunate as a jazz musician. The crisis with jazz is pretty strictly money. 
do you have enough money to, mm-hmm. to pay your bills to all that? Okay. But on the relational side, it is a blessed vocation. Mm. Either you're on stage doing a thing that you really love, or you're on your way to doing it, like traveling together, hanging, eating together, talking, in the car, on the plane. I've been really fortunate to have that kind of relational infrastructure. You find a handful of people who, like you, want to take off the mask and take off the armor. And it may be just one person in the beginning. I found somehow those folks. And it's not just young folks, older folks too. Man, once they get done with their role piece, like especially again with the work piece, everyone's so damn tired. I taught in the inner city in Indianapolis in the public schools. My first job as a teacher, I had an hour commute. When I got home, I took my trumpet with me, but it was the least I ever played my horn. I set it down. I went to my bedroom and I laid face down on the bed. <laughs> mm. That's part of the insidiousness of the situation because the relational thing is not a thing that's going to happen fast. You plant the seed, you got to keep watering it. It needs sun, it needs water, it needs time. And then eventually there can be a crop. Also observing the lives of a lot of young people that I know I think that's one of the biggest challenges. They don't have that relational infrastructure around them. They're kind of isolated. I think that has a lot to do with the shift in culture, particularly here in America, of individualism. I use this example a lot when I'm in conversation with people. Uh, I talk about Beyonce. It's funny. I wanted to reference her earlier when we were talking about soul and her new song you won't break my soul I just quit my job I'm like yes girl come on (laughs) I love the song more so because it's just in the line of dance disco house music that I like in general but she's not saying anything new she's just saying what everybody's thinking right now which I think is great I tell people it takes a village a small city of about 350 people to make Beyonce, Beyonce. Mm -hmm. When she travels anywhere, she travels with a tour bus caravan of about 25 buses, each carrying about 12 to 15 people. Everywhere she goes, like when she goes somewhere, it's just, it's not just Beyonce Knoll showing up. It's Beyonce, the brand, Beyonce, the company, Beyonce, the small city that makes her who she is. I came to learn that after listening to an interview that her drummer did on a podcast that I like to listen to. It dawned on me, Beyonce is great, but Beyonce is great because her drummer has three people assigned to that person just to make sure the drums sound good. There's one person just to tune it, another person to put it together, another person who's just responsible for making sure that drummer has the right sticks. Without those three people to that one drummer, that's four people that make one Beyonce, right? Every dancer, every other musician, every project coordinator, every driver of a bus, there are all these pieces that are intricate, her security, you know, the people who probably, you know, make sure she eats things that are good for her, her nutritionist, you know, these are all the people that make one Beyonce, And how do we think we can really achieve 
who we want to be without destroying ourselves by ourselves and what it looks like to be surrounded by that community and that support on a consistent basis. It doesn't even just take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to keep a human going. One human needs a whole village. <laughs> and in our culture of individualism and look how many followers I have and look what I can do and look what I did. I think we forget that we need community. We need that consistent support. Parker Palmer talks about a circle of trust. So Beyonce's circle of trust is whatever, you know, 20 bus fulls. <laughs> Good for her. God bless her. Dear friends, here ends part one of our conversation with Laurel Justice, Opening Our Lives to a Hidden Wholeness by Parker Palmer. You can find Parker's illuminating and inspired writing in both ebook and paperback versions on numerous bookselling platforms. The music you're hearing in this episode is the song Beni Benia from Pale Alfonsi's album entitled Itika, which is available on your preferred music streaming platform. You can find other life-opening articles and news about upcoming Nexus virtual events on our website at nexusonline.org. Peace.